Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosophy, the one true podcast and the only podcast with a PhD in Christian education from Patriot Bible University. <laughs> yes, yes, and uh, it only cost us a little bit of amount and a lot of time. <laughs> so this episode, we're going to focus on Kent Hovind's doctoral thesis, but there's so much in there, we're going to focus on just the first chapter, really. Yeah, yeah. The thing is a hundred pages long, and you guys really can't imagine the pain it costs to go through just the first chapter. Yeah. Another tagline would be, we read Kent Hovind's doctoral dissertation so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, I think that's even more important than reading the Bible so our listeners don't have to. God, it's awful. Uh, you want to hit up some reviews real quick? Yeah, yeah, there's actually uh, only one review we're going to hit up this time, and it comes from Chess Meister, stating, Very delicious, and uh, this podcast slides into my ears like leather across my skin. Actually, it's not the podcast, it's my voice. I'm told by women that they could just slide across my voice all night. Yeah, it goes on. It tickles very much and makes me laugh. That's actually not the podcast. That is me tickling you. <laughs> Charlie's very much into the little slap and tickle that goes on. <laughs> now, the reason why this is my favorite is because he what he states at the very end. Also, I find it very humorous that iTunes suggested that I not use language that can be construed as hateful to religion when writing this review or that is profane or sexual considering the content of the podcast. Are, are you trying to say something about our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I um, uh, Does it really say that when you go to review on iTunes? I've never even reviewed anything. How am I supposed to know? Be careful not to offend people. Yeah, be careful. You don't want to act like you don't like religion. Ooh. Also, I wanted to point out, I don't know if Leighton's seen this, because uh, who knows how often he's on our site. But uh, there's a um, comment on our last podcast by Cavico who says, I was uh, uh, atheist, but after listening to the show, they changed my mind. There is a God, and he is Leighton. <laughs> God, I have to visit our site more. <laughs> I start listening to all the shows again in sequence, and I realize that Leighton must be a God because in most of the shows, he says that he dated some girl. Almost in every episode, he talks about a girl that he dated, and it's always related to the show. Um... I believe that's his sister. Yes. I can't be sure. Now, what you have to understand is, if you've been on our site, you've seen the image I put up of my family where we adopted 13 kids. Do you have any idea how many sisters I had to go through? That's right. All of them. It's <laughs> My theory is it's either the same girl or they're all his sisters. One of the two. It's equally probable. Well, uh, let, let's just uh, leave it at sisters, because uh, I'm already known as the man-whore throughout this building I live in, so... That's a little redundant, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. <laughs> All right, uh, on to the Mims Carter Skunk Dick of the Week. This is our inaugural episode of the Mims Carter Skunk Dick of the Week, the first Mims Carter Skunk Dick of the Week for 2010. Yes, yes, but it's not the inaugural because we had a Mims Carter last time and Mims Carter won it. Oh, that's right. It's our s secondary, second? Whatever <laughs> our the hell it is. Second annual. <laughs> <laughs> so we have three candidates today. Uh, the first candidate is Rick Warren. Um, Rick Warren uh, had a $900,000 shortfall in his ministry. 
Uh, you don't know, Rick Warren's the guy we made fun of way back in one of the earlier podcasts. He, he was at the inauguration of uh, President Obama. Yeah. He's yeah. a um, fat dickhead, homophobic asshole who uh, was behind Proposition 8. Um, so pretty much the majority of preachers out there. Yeah, pretty much. And, yeah. you know, his his poor uh, ministry, um, apparently he said he was doing really well all the way up until the last weekend of the year, and he sh- suffered a serious setback when apparently his parishioners failed to donate $900,000 in one weekend. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you guys? This is God's work. You toss out $900,000. Yeah, so he says, you know, I know that it's um, it's tight and... Uh, Money's hard to come by in this economy, but please, you know, my ministry might come to an end if I don't make up $900,000. And his uh, parishioners responded to the tune of $2.4 million. Oh, good God. So, Rick Warren, uh, candidate number one for Skunk Dick of the Week. Uh, And I would like to nominate his parishioners as Skunk Dicks. (laughs) Are you guys shitting me? Are you shitting me? The dude can't handle money, so you hand him twice the amount he's after? You know, um, our podcast also suffered a serious shortfall. Um, yes, yes. We we Praise uh, the Lord. <laughs> we were uh, one million beers short of our... Um, exp- we had a one million beer shortfall. Yes. So yes. if our um, listeners can, you know, get together... Um, God will strike us down if we don't make the one million beers by the end of this week. Yeah, we have to share those beers with God, after all. How do you think he listens to our show and doesn't smite us? Candidate number two is a Catholic priest who says that it's okay to shoplift, but only if you're, uh, you know, really hurting for money (laughs) and only from big companies. (laughs) Don't hit the mom-and-pop chains. Oh, you dipshit. So... So just because you've hit on hard times, God has now said it's all right to steal from somebody else. Isn't there something about a Ten Commandment where that's concerned? It's actually, thou shalt not steal, uh, with the exception of if you really need it. (laughs) (laughs) And from a big store like Walmart. His his thinking is that that'll be um, picked up and passed on to the rest of people So in the form of higher prices. So it's essentially forced charity. Uh, from the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, but what this dipshit doesn't understand is I used to work in an electronics store, and we had guys coming in, obviously they needed it very badly, and they would steal from us over and over again, and since the dipshit management above us wouldn't put in a a security system, my manager got fired because of these thefts, even though we did everything we could to stop it. So, you may think that these little shoplifts or these little thefts, because you really need it, uh, yeah, it's not going to hurt the bigwigs. They're going to take it out on the little guys. Right. So he's not candidate number two. Our third candidate is uh, Mims Carter. In a stunning turn of events, Mims <laughs> Carter is actually candidate number three. Yeah, he somehow made it back to the board. And stunningly, we put this up to a vote, and Mims Carter won again. Mims Carter is our first skunk dick of the week. For 2010. Isn't that fantastic? Give him a round of applause. It was unprecedented that Mims Carter would win the skunk dick of the week twice in a row. I couldn't believe it, but let me assure our listeners that we went through a thorough recounting process, uh, and uh, he did indeed pull it out at the end. Yeah, we even had to count the ones where people only filled in half a bubble. (laughs) 
Should we get on to Kent Hovind? Please, for the love of God, let's move on. <laughs> it's like eight excruciating minutes, but the podcast starts now. This is Kent Hovind's doctoral thesis, which was recently unearthed uh, and made public. Um, because prior to this, unlike any other doctoral dissertation that I've ever heard of, uh, it was hidden away at Patriot University and was only allowed to uh, uh, be seen by people with the explicit permission of Kent Hovind. <laughs> <laughs> Typically what happens oh, is, God. you know, it gets published and, and bound and kept on file at the university's library, and anyone has access, right? Yes, yes, it's put up for your peers to review, maybe find something of worth in it, but no, it was absolutely buried. Right. Um, why? Clearly because he was embarrassed by it. I mean, reading the first three pages, uh, I wouldn't allow anyone to read this manuscript either. <laughs> now, hold on a second. Before we actually get into the dissertation, the first page says, A project submitted to Dr. Wayne Knight. And so the first thought that went through my head is, Who is this Dr. Wayne Knight, and how could he read this shit? and then pass this off to Kent Hovind saying, okay, you are now a doctor. So my, I looked him up. My up first there. thought was, that has to be wrong. Surely at Patriot University, uh, being a university, right, a gigantic yeah. edifice established for the purposes of learning, they would have not one person but a thesis committee, right? Yeah. <laughs> or you yeah. have to give your defense. <laughs> Surely he's not just submitting this and then getting passed off. Surely he's actually, you know, having to have this reviewed by an entire committee. Maybe Dr. Dwayne Knight was just his doctoral dissertation advisor, you know. Um, I'm sure yeah. there has to be a committee in there. Well, see, there's a there's a very small problem with there being a committee. If there was a committee, it would take the entire town of Del Norte, Colorado to be the committee because this university is in a town of 1,700 people. Well, I think the entire staff, I looked it up on Wikipedia, of Patriot Bible University is four. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct. And Dr. Wayne Knight is the president. Now, I, I, I did had you see to... The, did you see the picture of Patriot University? Yes, I did. It's a single building, which apparently also in the phone book is listed as a residential address under someone's <laughs> name. <laughs> It's you guys got to see this. You got to look it up. It's just this little white building. It it's up. There's gravel road, not even an asphalt road, but a gravel road that leads up to this shit. Oh, it's fantastic. It's oh, it's, it's great. You have no idea. So I actually did research into it, wondering, hmm, why would I want to go there? So this is what they have to say about their faculty. It is often said that one can measure the credibility of a school by its faculty. It is recommended that a prospective student make inquiry into the school's faculty and their qualifications. We agree. This is a very good advice if you are planning to attend a traditional college. However, Patriots courses are self-directed correspondence studies and as such do not employ professors. Ah, I gotcha. Uh, it's just uh, material, even for a doctoral dissertation, apparently, it's just like coursework. You know, a real doctoral dissertation involves uh, new knowledge, right, that your own uh, unique research that adds knowledge to the body of literature that's out there. Yeah. Um, even in his introduction, he admits that that's not the case. Oh, of course. Point. 
And then he goes on to course teachers. And then he says, while they aren't literally on our staff, our students benefit from the teachings of the following Christian leaders. And it's just a list of authors. Is Jesus on there? No, but the very Those next statement is... bastards. Our primary teacher is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Bible informs us that the Holy Spirit is our teacher, that he dwells within the born-again believer. Of course. Well, look, um, his. let's get into his, his dissertation. No, 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 not yet. Come on, man, you're killing no, me. I am, you have yet to find out about this. So what, what do you think it would cost you to get a doctorate? Um, sixty thousand dollars. Uh, no, no. It cost you eighteen hundred and ninety nine dollars, or two thousand ninety nine dollars for international students. Um, <laughs> that's two hundred dollars <laughs> more because they gotta ship the stuff out farther. I guess. Yeah, yeah. So it takes you two thousand dollars less than I paid for a single course at my university and it says that the tuition is for up to 36 months and what it is is they send you out one book a month now the funniest thing about this is uh, this statement right here one course a month and if you can't finish them in time you can pay an extra one hundred dollars for a six-month extension you realize we only have an hour to discuss this shit that's all I wanted to bring up (laughs) What the Please. fuck? You think people actually want to listen to Kent Hovind? I bring up this shit about Please. their... Let's spend a half an hour discussing Patriot University. Oh, come on. <laughs> you, this, is a, this is nothing but a degree mill. They're just shipping this shit out for 1800 bucks. Of course it's a degree mill. Uh, that, that's why he went to it. He has absolutely zero credentials whatsoever. His only credential I was able to find is that he graduated from high school. That's yeah. it. Well, wasn't he pointing out that he was a creation or a, a science teacher in high school or something? Yeah, that was at a um, private high school, which ah. you don't need any credentials whatsoever to treat uh, to teach at a private high school. So he taught there. Um, he was a pastor slash teacher <laughs> for oh, fifteen God. years. Yeah, a pastor slash science teacher, yep. if nothing else. All right, let's get to the dedication. All right, I'm ready. My favorite part of the dedication is that in a second sentence he says, <laughs> Miss Kim Van Gundy spent countless hours <laughs> typing, correcting, and retyping the manuscript. This guy is so lazy he can't even type up his own doctoral dissertation. Yes, and uh, last I checked, aren't doctoral dissertations supposed to be your own? So why is this woman correcting it for you? <laughs> it- <laughs> You would think after going through the rigorous 36 months that he could be able to type and correct something on his own. I, If I were Miss Kim Van Gundy, I would sue him for defamation of character because <laughs> I would not want my name associated whatsoever with correcting this manuscript. Oh, of course not. It there are titles all over. Riddled with errors. In the next sentence, my mom and dad supplied the computer for this work to be done on. <laughs> <laughs> now, now hold on a second here the, the great thing about this is how old is Kent Hovind at this time because he stated that he started working as a high school science teacher like back in 1978 or something I looked it up, he was born in 53 Kent Hovind was 38 years old 
a year older than I am now, and he's got three children, and he's using his mom's computer <laughs> to type his doctoral dissertation on. No, hold on, hold on. Please, please, for the love of God, don't say that he was living in his parents' basement when he did this. <laughs> oh, good Lord, I have no idea. But he thanks his mom and dad um, for this computer, for this work to be done on. Mom, dad... I'm not embarrassed to let people know that I still curl up in bed with you when I'm scared. Kent, um, and Miss Kim Van Gundy, it's actually more correctly on which to be done. But hey, I'm not a PhD. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. You You cannot compare your PhD to his. You have not been through his rigorous courses. I don't have a PhD. I just have a measly MD. I don't have yeah. a PhD, so I can't, you know, I don't want to tell them about not ending sentences with prepositions. I don't want to nitpick. Um, there's there's plenty other stuff to, to discuss. Yes, there's, there's quite a bit, actually. <laughs> like, <laughs> take for this example. In the introduction, the first sentence, Hello, my name is Kent Hovind. Oh, that's my favorite. What doctoral dissertation you know of <laughs> begins with an introduction? Hello. You have never met me before. <laughs> and it's not on my title page, which actually states my name, but my name is Kent Hoven. And guess what? Let me list off where I live, what type of person I am, blah, blah, blah. Dude, you skipped right over him thanking Patriot University, and he's thankful that it made it impossible for him to study at his own pace, even though he completed his PhD in, in three years. Unbelievable. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's Rapid. actually a very good point, but I think I already hammered on that point when studying the university, which you so fervently state was unimportant. What about him thanking his Lord Jesus Christ for patiently working with him and equipping him for the work of the ministry? Everybody knows that at this university, God is actually your tutor, and he will sit beside you and correct your math homework. Hey, if this work was partially done by Jesus... Can Kent Helvin truly uh, <laughs> claim the PhD himself? <laughs> oh, by the way, I was reading in a Wikipedia about Kent Helvin, right. where where it said that it's uh, they had a real doctorate there, um, and she said it's extremely unusual, even for people with real PhDs, to list themselves in the phone book as Doctor Helvin. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you got to be shitting me. He's listing himself as Dr. Hovind. Yeah, he's listed in the phone book as Dr. Hovind. All right, you know what cracks me up? He's really proud of this PhD. (laughs) You, Charlie, you are a doctor, and you despise it when people use it. And here he is flaunting it. That cracks me up. Look, I don't want people, uh, you know, uh, that are around me to know that I'm a doctor for the most part, because then you get pestered with medical questions, right? Yeah. (laughs) But... (laughs) Kent wants everyone to know that he's got a PhD, and he worked hard for this thing, man. Yeah, 36 months for $2,000. I mean, that must have been, what, uh, at least four months' rent in his mother's basement. (laughs) His PhD (laughs) is 100 pages, four chapters, two-inch wide margins, (laughs) double-spaced. So really, we're talking maybe 50 pages here. Right, right. And if you go by the content, a half of a paragraph. Possibly two sentences. <laughs> oh, yes, the content where he actually starts uh, writing down Bible verses, which we'll get yeah. to. Oh, right, God. which are 
formatted differently, right? They have even wider margins. <laughs> it's like yeah. a three-inch margin on those. Yeah, it's like really, really... <laughs> Let's see how much space we can take up for this dissertation. Yeah, his introduction starts, Hello, my name is Kent Hovind. I am a creation-slash-science evangelist. I live in Pensacola, Florida. Well, that's good. <laughs> I'm glad to know that you live in Pensacola. That's very nice to know. That's... What the fuck do I care? Oh, God, Lord. Why don't you get to the point? It is his burning desire to help Christians get back to simple faith in God's word. <laughs> Keep in I mind, this to... is a doctoral dissertation. This, this is little more than a letter to a congregation. That That's basically all it is. But this university is passing it off as a dissertation. Right, and um, I'd actually like to read his master's thesis because apparently he got a, an MA um, in Christian education from the same university. So I'd like to read his master's thesis as well. Yeah, anybody out there who has the master's thesis, send it to us, and we will enjoy it as thoroughly and as boring as hell as it is. I love it. He goes, the first sentence that came from Satan that is recorded for us in the Bible is, Yea, hath God said? He started by questioning God's word in the Garden of Eden. It worked there, so he has used it ever since. Now, Satan was right in that instance. <laughs> God was wrong. Right? God said in that very day you eat of the fruit, you will die. Yep. And uh, Satan said, hey, he just doesn't want you to become his gods, knowing good and evil. You won't die. Guess who was right? Yep. Satan was right. Satan was right. They did not die in that day. And the funny thing about it is my dad tries to explain it that... In God years, uh, a single day for God is a thousand years for us. And that's the reason why, is because they were tossed out, and in a single day in God's days, they did surely die, but not a single day in their days. So God's like uh, the Riddler in Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> He's like, you know, <laughs> I didn't literally mean a day. <laughs> You gotta interpret this shit, all right? Yeah, this is the Bible. Don't you know you're not supposed to take it literally? <laughs> now he goes on to say, oh, I, you're will gonna be, that. All right. "I will be quick to point out that there is nothing new under the sun." Right? He doesn't reference it, but that—that's a quote from Ecclesiastes. He says, "I have attempted in this book to simply explain the things I have learned through many years of studying both science and the Bible." Yeah, well, <laughs> that's no problem, <laughs> except your doctoral dissertation like I said, by definition, has to impart new knowledge. Otherwise, you shouldn't get your Ph.D. If yeah. you're just, anyone can explain stuff that someone else has written, right? Yeah, that's we, a book can do report. That. That's what right. this is. Um, so he's admitting right now that he should not have gotten a Ph.D. Yeah, well, and we all know this for a fact. I mean, th this is my favorite. It's an absolute contradiction. If the Bible says that something was created a certain way, then that is just the way it happened. Now, as a science teacher, I want to keep an open mind and understand understand why, how, and when God created the earth. If those things can be known, there are some things we cannot understand and some things I believe that we can. This is what separates a scientist from a religious zealot. What we have here is... They say, oh, some things can't be understood, and they stop. Whereas a scientist will actually sit there and think, well, what actually makes this happen? And they will work towards finding that. So you're sitting here talking about that 
if the Bible says it, that's that. But you will keep an open mind. That's a contradiction in terms. Yeah, I'd love to be able to point to you the page number of the stuff that we're quoting off of so you guys can quickly reference it. But there are but no page numbers. There are no page numbers. No. None. There's <laughs> like handwritten in like every 10 pages. 10, 20, 30. Other than that, I have no idea. I love that they're handwritten in too. Yeah. It, it just It's a crack up because it's the first thing you notice. You're like, hmm, something new. Yeah, just just adds in. Um, another part uh, that I really liked was he said, many things I can document and verify with the, quote, experts. And in parentheses he says, whatever an expert is. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Well, how about this one? This one actually goes along with that. He actually states, some things in this book I couldn't prove to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, you just have to roll your eyes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, God. Now, the fascinating thing is, in this introduction, he lists 16 separate chapters, right? Yeah. In including entire chapters on, quote, dinosaur footprints in uh, Glen Rose, Texas. <laughs> Those are the oh. ones near the Paluxy River. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those are the ones my father brought up yeah. to me. And it took a five-minute internet search to show that these were disproved back in the 1970s. So he, he, um, he has an entire chapter apparently planned on that one. And also an entire chapter on, quote, has science created life in the library, w which I can only assume consists of one word. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps, no, it hasn't. <laughs> How about this? How about this? Chapter 13. We give interesting evidence that dinosaurs are mentioned in the Bible. I believe that dinosaurs are not only in the Bible, but they have lived with man all through his 6,000-year history. And this is why ancient China and ancient Egypt societies discussed dinosaurs so prevalently in their writings. Yeah, um, throughout this, there are certain sentences that should never, ever appear in a doctoral dissertation. That's one of them. <laughs> throughout the in mankind's entire 6,000-year history. Yeah. Ah, yeah, that's, that's where everybody's going to go, oh, God, do we really have to continue reading this? So 16 chapters he lists. However, there are only four chapters in this dissertation. Now, yeah. um you recall that in his previous debates and stuff, people have brought this stuff up. I think Eugenie Scott uh, has read it because there's a copy of the dissertation at the NCSE, the National Center for Science Education. Yeah. Um, and he's complained loudly about that. Um, people shouldn't be able to mention um, his doctoral thesis because it's a work in progress, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If it's a work in progress, then you cannot list yourself as a doctor yeah. because you aren't done oh. with your dissertation. Uh, apparently, so is his PhD. It's a PhD in progress. <laughs> um, horrible. Horrible. Anyway, um, so we have read the first chapter for you, and we're going to try to summarize that in the next half an hour. The problem is, you know, you've heard of the Gish Gallup where this guy, um, I think his name was Dwayne Gish, would debate people in the 70s. And he would say so many things that the guy sitting across the table would be like, what the hell? And you'd, if you knew all of them, you'd have to spend a ton of time trotting out how this was wrong and this was wrong and this was wrong. This is exactly the same thing that he's done here. There are so yeah. many things that were so far wrong uh, that it took a lot of time to read these, you know, 30 pages. Yeah. I mean, it was... <laughs> 
it, truth be told, it, it was entertaining, but it was excruciating at the same point because after about two sentences, you're rolling your eyes once again. It is hard work slogging through this stuff. Now, it, it, it is typical creationist crap. This stuff never changes, right? You get yeah. the typical second law of thermodynamics, right? Everything oh, deteriorates, yeah. blah, blah, blah. It lists a bunch of examples. Of course, none of these examples reproduce. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, what was it? Uh, one was uh, he was pointing out that things left to themselves will actually deteriorate, and he brought up our highways or a house. And I would just like to point out that I don't see my highways breeding into more highways or my house yeah. hitching up with the one next to it. Right, so the analogy falls apart. Um, he brings up the first law, right, which says that matter cannot be created nor destroyed by ordinary means. We do not see anything being created today, and yet we do see an entire universe of created material. This clearly indicates a creator. Um, two things I want to say. First of all, <laughs> he creates a special exception for the creator, right? So, yeah. you know, you can't create matter or energy except for God. <laughs> he can do it, no problem. <laughs> Um, and secondly, you will notice throughout this chapter, he says things like clearly, definitely, obviously. That's a sign of insecurity. Um, otherwise, he would have just said, this indicates a creator, right? The, the word clearly is an attempt to bully the audience into feeling dumb and, and agreeing with him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and it clearly <laughs> indicates a creator, so... If I can't clearly see that, I'm kind of stupid, so I agree with you, Kent. Clearly, that's right. He does that over and over again. Yeah, um, I mean, and, and that's just how his writing is. It's to the point that you cannot disprove what he's saying because this is God's word, and that is how it's written. He bullies anybody into believing it. It's kind of funny. Yeah, it's just pathetic. Uh, he, here he seems to be speaking directly to Leighton. He says... There are people in the world today who wish to avoid the concept of God. They do not like the idea of a God telling them what to do. <laughs> See? Layton. He's actually got a point there. When I was in the military, I actually pushed my company commander into a locker. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. Yeah, I, I do not like being told what to do, and yet I was religious up until the point where religion fell apart due to historical inaccuracies and scholarly research. He goes on, Therefore, they have come up with the most dangerous, damnable doctrine ever imagined, evolution. And yes, every imagined. the word is every. <laughs> so much for that typing and retyping. <laughs> yes, yes, you should probably fire her. <laughs> yeah. Kim Van Gundy. Did you, do you like his technical definition of evolution? Uh, I do, actually. I was just looking for yeah. it. A technical definition of evolution means change. <laughs> Very technical, Kent. Oh, my yes. God, that is technical. Slow down. Oh, God. Dumb it down for the audience. Yes, I would yes. have thought the technical definition of evolution had something to do with the change of allele frequency in a population over time, but change is probably... Well, I, I think change is more technical than that psychobabble you just spit out. You're just trying to bully our audiences into believing that you know. Clearly. <laughs> Obviously, evolution is changing the little frequency over time. He um, admits that microevolution happens. This is a common, common uh, complaint yeah. of the. Yeah, in fact, he talks about putting a rabbit in the cold and those with long hair will survive, but. If all of a sudden the weather shifts, then those with short hair will survive, blah, blah, blah. 
Right, he says that that's only a change in the ratio of a population. Well, can't that that's evolution. <laughs> he said, you still have the same animal, though, uh, so there's no similarity between microevolution and macroevolution. Um, here, he betrays a fundamental misunderstanding of evolution. If he, uh, you know, macroevolution is just microevolution over long term with barriers so that the species cannot interbreed. If he says that there's nothing no similarity between micro and macro evolution he needs to propose a mechanism by which small changes over time don't add up to big changes over time yeah well you brought up a very important point there where macro evolution is concerned barriers this is why we get marsupial wolves over in australia they are fundamentally different than the wolves here in america because they have barriers sure um, and that's why you get uh, animals along islands that are most similar to the coast that the island is nearest to. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Um, it's, you know, the geographic separation and, and uh, the biogeography of species, right? It's um, not uh, explained at all by creationism. Anyway. Yeah. Well, or macroevolution because it doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, he says, the idea that evolutionists try to get across today is that there is a continual upward progression. They claim that everything is getting better, improving, all by itself, as if there is an inner drive toward more perfection and order. Survey said! Please, Kent, why don't you drag out one single evolutionary scientist or biologist who says that we are moving towards perfection? That is... That is fail <laughs> in a doctoral <laughs> thesis. Fail. You can stamp it right there on that page. There uh -huh. is no uh, inner drive toward perfection and order. You know, he goes into Aristotle right later on, but he doesn't seem to understand that that idea is Aristotelian. Um, it's not. Uh, it just has nothing to do with current evolutionary theory. Yeah. Uh, we just, uh, you know, evolution just posits that. Uh, organisms either adapt or they go extinct, right? I mean, that's yep. what happens. It's you adaptation adapt at niche. its finest. So, uh, here's another sentence that I'd like stricken from the record. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, find that typist and beat this sentence out of her. I would like to trace the history of evolution beginning with the fall of Satan from heaven through the last 6,000 years to modern day evolution. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, right after that, uh, doesn't he say that he believes that Satan fell out uh, of heaven? Like, uh, uh, oh shit, where was that? He he actually gives a timeline, yeah. but he doesn't state why he knows it. He says, I personally believe that Satan fell from heaven about a hundred years after the creation of Adam and Eve. There it is. Well, you know what that reminds me of? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps and uh, I believe that our ed education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries. So we will be able to build up our future for our children. Thank you very much, South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. 
I know we did an ANN on this woman. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, Miss Teen USA, I think, um, South Carolina or something like that. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant, because it's all about maps. And for some reason, Kent Hovind has discovered, this is a shocking discovery, that uh, Satan was God's choir director. <laughs> yeah, where where the hell did that come from? I don't know. And why the hell, <laughs> if I was Satan and I was forced to be God's choir director and sit there and sing hymns to him all day, I would fall too. Oh, I'd get pissed off, yeah, sure. God, Absolutely. I would want to get out of there. Of course, I don't ever want to get into heaven if all they're doing is sitting there singing these goddamn awful hymns to God every day. Well, you know, th- this bit about him being Satan being God's choir director might be just more of Kent Hovind's corn pone down home humor, uh, <laughs> but it's hard to tell. <laughs> well, you and I aren't inbred enough to understand right. this type of humor. We'll have to consult some of our southern listeners. As if we have any. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes on to list 29 Bible verses about how much God hates pride. I think this is just absolute filler to pad his dissertation. This is two pages full of knowledge puffeth up. Charity is not puffed up. Lifteth up the pride ye fall into. Yeah. Proverbs. And high look and a proud heart is sin. Pride of life. He he puts in there First John two sixteen and just puts pride of life. Yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. And this is all like with three inch margins instead of his normal two inch margins, and it's still double spaced. <laughs> what a bastard! Uh, two pages of this shit. He's just trying to fill things up. Oh God. Um, and I love how he says. Satan wants your attention any time you try to serve the Heavenly Father. I mean, this is really what these people believe. Yeah. Literally. Well, I, you, I, was, I was telling you about this, Charlie, and I, I think our listeners would like it, too. Um, we, I, I went with my parents, and we saw that movie, The Fourth Kind, um, and it's all about alien abductions. And while I'm sitting there next to my mother, and they're showing the guy hypnotized, and, you know, the aliens coming in, possessing him, woo. And my mother kept leaning over to my father going, that's not alien abduction. That is possession. He's being possessed by evil spirits. And I'm sitting there going, good God, are you telling me evil spirits is a better explanation than aliens? Yeah. You're correct, Mom. Just watch the show. Yeah, shut up. Watch the show. But yeah, people believe this shit. They believe that Satan is there, and as soon as you start working towards God, he's going to start tapping you on the shoulder. Yeah, um, oh God. He goes into this strange, bizarre thing about Cain's fruit sacrifice. And, yeah. you know, Cain knew better because God wanted a bloody animal sacrifice, because God had shed innocent blood to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. What the hell? We're on yep. like the second generation of people. What? When? What? Yeah. When? When did God shed innocent blood to cover the sins of Adam and Eve? Uh, he's fast forwarding about four thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just love that he points out, "Ooh, but Abel did it properly, and that's what pissed Cain off." Yeah. But it was really Satan who was influencing Cain. Yeah, you know his Kent Hovind's interpretation of science is bizarre. His interpretation of scriptures is is uh, I don't equally as bizarre. At least he goes on to say 
that you know the evil in the world got so bad that God sent a flood, and so Satan went to work on Noah's descendants, right? Yeah. And so he talks about how Ham saw the nakedness of his father, went outside and told his two brothers about it, <laughs> and you know what he should have done is covered Noah up, but instead he went and laughed about it. And this was because of Ham's pride, it caused him to try to make his father look bad. Well, apparently, getting yourself shit-ass drunk, passing out <laughs> naked on the floor, isn't enough to make you look bad. It's when your son walks in that, that <laughs> and laughs let, about it. Let me explain that it, it looks bad, because uh, when I had a birthday and my buddies took me out drinking and then to a movie, and I wound up pretty much stripped down in the uh, movie's... Uh, little area for the common area sleeping on a bench yeah that had nothing to do with ha any pride there that was just drunkenness so Good. yeah cover but up the nakedness ham. it's ham that pride caused him to make his father look bad oh, God. <laughs> so he says the tower of babel was constructed yes god confounded their languages right because they just wanted to build one big city and God wanted them to spread out, and so he confounded all their languages. And this bizarre quote comes in. I'm sure for several generations they told stories about how it used to be in the good old days when there was just one big city and everyone was one happy family. <laughs> <laughs> I want I that sentence that. stricken from the dissertation as well. Wait, 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 wait. I, I've seen that uh, in Egyptian hieroglyphs, in Babylonian, even in cuneiform, I've seen that where they sit and talk, man, I wish things were back to when we all spoke the same language because it would be a whole lot easier to trade. Well, you know, Kent makes a serious mistake here. He lists a chronology. Oh, um, you got to be as vague as possible with this shit. He says the flood happened in 2400 BC. Now that's the middle of 5th dynasty of Egypt. Yep. The Egyptians didn't seem to notice the worldwide flood. <laughs> Their culture <laughs> carried on just the same as it had. Well, that's um, because uh, pyramids float, and it, it actually pulled up all of Egypt. Well, apparently what happened had to happen because they were all destroyed. Um, one of uh, Noah's kids had to go and you know be pharaoh in Egypt. Yeah, and, yeah, and learn hieroglyphs oh. and... <laughs> Go back to doing everything the Egyptians yeah. did as soon as everybody well, was killed off. Even better. that He said that that puts the Tower of Babel being built in 1900 BC. Now that's in the Middle Kingdom, after the first intermediate period. It's the kind of early dynasty 12. Um, I find it amazing that Egyptian hieroglyphs didn't change after God confounded their languages. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, does that uh, maybe God just confounded their uh, verbal language and didn't confound their written languages? Yeah, I I don't know, but I mean, I mean, even before he he even states the chronology, this is just an astonishing quote here. In the countries of China, Japan, and India, the eastern branch of evolution developed. These branches actually developed simultaneously, and he's using this to prove that. It was Satan working against them, and not the fact that other people were noticing this shit. Well, there is one, one Eastern religion that I would like to discuss, and that's with Confucius. And he completely butchers Confucius. He, the only thing he gets right 
is that Confucius was born and lived between 551 and 479 BC. And this is a statement. He very strongly endorsed ancestor worship. There was no God or afterlife in the system developed by Confucius. Now, uh, Confucius wasn't trying to build a systematic theory of life and society or establish formalism of rights. What he was trying to do is get his disciples to think deeply for themselves and relentlessly study the outside world, mostly through the old scriptures and be re by relating the moral problems of the present to past political events. So this has absolutely nothing to do with what Kent Hovind is stating, and the greatest and most pertinent lesson that Confucius ever taught was man who go to bed with itchy butt wake up with smelly finger. Oh, my God. <laughs> I couldn't leave that one out. Come on. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even... I don't know where to pick up from there. Yeah, well, that that was kind of the point. <laughs> I knew that one would kind of stop you in your tracks. Lord. Uh, his, um, his whole idea is that... The evolution started in the Garden of Eden and <laughs> spread throughout the world. Uh, after the flood, it started again, but this time it broke into eastern and western branches. Now, he's following Herodotus. He has no earthly idea what he's doing, but he's following Herodotus in breaking it up between east and west. And, you know, he goes, he skips... 1300 years <laughs> from 1900 <laughs> to, 640, to BC. 640 BC to a man named Thales. <laughs> Nothing happens. And he uh he picks up with Thales who is um grossly misinterpreted by Ovind. Ovind is clearly not a philosopher and I'm beginning to think that um he read kind of philosophy for dummies and just <laughs> kind of just pulled out what he liked. Right. Um, he, he says that Thales uh, said that everything evolved from water. Uh. No. <laughs> Thales said that the one, the, the whole pre-Socratics, right, they're trying to find the one essence, right, and reduce everything into one essence so that everything came out of. Thales thought it was water, probably because, you know, water can turn into ice. You see slime on rocks and uh, moisture and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and then he says Anaximander enlarged on this theory only slightly. Survey said! Uh. <laughs> it's totally different! Anaximander thought that uh, the entire universe was made up out of this primordial-like chaos of potential. I love but that he goes only... to Pythagoras next, too. Yeah. Pythagoras was a student of Anaximander. And he says that uh, here there was a split in the evolutionary doctrine. One group became atheistic and said there was no God. And Pythagoras started the group that became pantheistic, saying that, you know, nature was God. <laughs> and this is where he gets that evolution is a religion. Yeah, he said there are three types of religion in the world. One is atheists, and of course he brings up Psalm 14.1. The fool mm -hmm. in his heart says there is no God. Uh, <laughs> two, pantheists, where, you know, nature is God. And then three, the correct religion which is God is outside of, above, and beyond his creation, right? The transcendent God of the Bible. Yeah. yeah. So those are the three. He completely forgets about polytheism. I don't know what the, <laughs> the hell. Well, uh, he just chooses to ignore that because that must yep. be uh, either a form of atheism or a form of nature loving. Yeah. He um, 
mentions five major Eastern religions, Hinduism, Confucianism, Zoroasterism. (laughs) (laughs) He can't even look this stuff up. Zoroastrianism, Kent. (laughs) I hope he didn't pay Kim Van Gundy anything for correcting this. I'm just wondering if his mother's computer had spell check. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Buddhism and Taoism. He said, you know, given the pantheism and atheism of these religions, it was easy for communism to take over so many of the oriental countries. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Keep in mind, this was written in 1991. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. But we did find out where Mars Hill comes from. I didn't know this. Remember that Mars Hill podcast we made fun of? Yeah, the one that was absolutely horrendous. Yeah, apparently Paul... Uh, gives a, uh, a speech on Mars Hill in Athens. That's where the Mars Hill podcast comes. That's where the name oh, comes no from. Oh, no shit. Yeah. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Oh, fuck, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that ain't nice. <laughs> He's calling the Athenians too superstitious. Oh, you son of a bitch. God, that's just... <laughs> killing me. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom ye therefore ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Oh, God. Um, The unknown God. um, You know how in polytheism, they're very tolerant. You know, if if, uh, another God comes in that they like, they just kind of put them next to the other gods that they have, right? And see, that's why monotheism was uh, so easily taken over, or took over polytheism is because these polytheists thought, eh, another god. That's fine with us. My point is that the the unknown god was a placeholder, right? To to gods that we don't know of, we'll just set this altar here so we don't piss anybody off that we're not sure of. <laughs> we don't know about yet. And th- that's exactly right. You put them up there just in case this god gets angry at you. You don't want to mess with the gods. That's how it always was. Yeah, he next goes into some church fathers, because he doesn't like these. He, first of all, he's he's Baptist, so he doesn't like the Catholic Church. Um, and so anything that's associated with that, including the early church fathers, he doesn't like. So he mentions St. Clement of Alexandria and Origen. Uh, quote, Clement had a very clear intention of making God a pantheist God. Uh, he doesn't, first of all, I don't think he has a clear understanding of what pantheism means, um, and certainly does not have any idea what Clement taught. I'm pretty sure that we've pointed out that he doesn't have a clear understanding of anything this guy says. Yeah. But you notice how he said he had a very clear intention? (laughs) (laughs) Very. Not just clear. Very clear. Clearly he had a good intention. (laughs) And this this was the thing that just stunned me, I think, out of of almost anything. Uh, Many in the Alexandrian school were of this philosophy. They actually recopied parts of the Bible to be more in line with their beliefs and made uh, what are known today as the Alexandrian manuscripts. These have been discredited and rejected by most Bible-believing Christians because there are differences in these manuscripts and other manuscripts of the Bible. Um, (laughs) Now, he has a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Because these are the oldest manuscripts we have, and they are considered by scholars... Uh, the best manuscripts we have because they were done by professional scribes, right? This is Alexandria. This is the Greek world. People are used to copying and copying faithfully. So he has to um, come to grip with that. You know how he does it? He says, (laughs) 
It would only make sense. Here it is, you know. Of course. Yeah. If yeah. you don't agree with them, you don't, you know. It would only make sense if a manuscript were accepted. Yeah. <laughs> it would only make sense if a manuscript were accepted, uh, accepted as authentic by the believers, that it would be used over and over until it is worn out. Then a new copy would be made. It would be checked extensively by the priest to verify that all had been copied correctly. Those <laughs> other manuscripts that were not accepted would not be used and therefore would last longer. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly, the oldest manuscripts were just tossed out and never used. Yeah, uh, nobody wanted to use them because they were unimportant. So yeah, they were just sitting there, and that's the reason why. Nothing to do with the fact that it was the rich who had these manuscripts, and they actually prized them. Yeah, the people who were copying, you know, in general Christianity, and Christianity didn't have a whole lot of intellectuals in the first couple of centuries. No, right? No, they were a all handful. Poor. At most, they got a handful of intellectuals. So people who were literate in copying, they're not professional scribes. They didn't do this for a living. They probably barely knew how to write. They certainly weren't. He, he, he posits this extensive priest system where all these guys are like, yep, that's a good copy. Whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa. That has errors. And he totally forgets the point that there are doctrinal wars going back and forth, right? The people yeah. um, who are proto-Orthodox are fighting against the Gnostics. The Gnostics are fighting against... Um, the Ebionites. The Ebionites are fighting against the Marcionites. Marcionites uh, <laughs> hate anything to do with James. Um, the the Proto-Orthodox hate the Docetists, the Adoptionists. And so what do they do? They come up with shit that backs their stuff up. So they'll, you know, make a little change in a manuscript and then point to that because they got authority. You know, total, total ob uh, oblivion. He has absolutely no idea about what's going on in the first several centuries. Well, see, the funny thing is he doesn't even consider that his own Bible, the King James Version, has been shifted during those doctrinal wars and even later on to make it more believable and the one true. So how does he sit here and say that these guys are the ones that are wrong when his own Bible incorporates the same shit. His King James Version was probably based on one of the worst extant uh, manuscripts. The, I think it's called the Textus Receptus. Um, <clears throat> and that's why he doesn't like it. He doesn't like the other ones because they're not the same as the King James Version. So in his head, the King James Version is the right one and all these other um, trans translations of the Bible are of Satan. Uh, well, it's amazing. the same in, Mormon, in Mormonism. They believe the King James Version is the correct one. And in fact, there's an article of faith that says they believe in the Bible as long as it is translated correctly. And they're actually talking about the King James Version. So he's a as incorrect as the Mormons are. Well, um, right. And it has clear errors in it, like we discussed as Alma being, um, young woman being translated as virgin incorrectly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but... Uh, more to the point, the early manuscripts that, that uh, um, make up, say, the King James Version and, and all the other translations, there are more variations and discrepancies and differences in all these manuscripts than there are words in the New Testament. So we don't even know if we have the original New Testament. And Kent doesn't know that. The best scholars doesn't know that. There's no possible way to know that. You, you just can't get around it. You can't get around it. It's God's Word. All we need to do is pray. So he goes on to, to say Origen. Um, Origen was a kind of a um, second century, I believe, intellectual. Uh, yeah. He argued against Celsus, the pagan, 
Um, and the only reason we have Celsus is, is because Origen quoted some of his stuff to, to argue against. Yeah, let's but see, he because Christianity was going around destroying anything that was not of God. Yeah, he doesn't like Origen either. He says, Origen had a very vehement desire, and I want to know what the difference between very vehement and vehement is. <laughs> well, uh, very vehement and just plain vehement. See, very yeah. vehement means that he's just going to kill everybody, but vehement just means he's got a strong desire. Well, see, that's what I was going to say. It's the difference between a murderous rage and a very murderous rage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to see that you and I think alike after all these years. <laughs> Origen had a very vehement desire to put the evolutionary theory of pantheism into Christianity. He's, he's, uh, Kent Hovind's quite pissed off that Origen didn't believe that Genesis 1 and 2 should be taken literally. and um, <laughs> That's because they contradict themselves. I looked that up, and Origen actually said, and I quote, what man of intelligence will believe that the first and the second and the third day and the evening and the morning existed without the sun and moon and stars? <laughs> Eat that, Kent! Oh, God. Uh, you know, Origen's um, probably the first to say that, but he was in line with uh, St. Augustine, or Augustine, who said that, you know, when it comes between Scripture and facts, facts have to rule out, and you have to interpret Scripture... Uh, in light of the facts. Anyway, yeah. he mentions Augustine, Muhammad, um, which he totally massacres. Um, bizarre. He, he, and he says this, In the country of Turkey, which is almost totally dedicated to Muhammad, evolution is taught as fact. I find that interesting because in a 2005 poll, Turkey placed last of the um, you know European and Western uh, industrialized yeah, nations. That followed uh, in acceptance of evolution right behind the United States. We were the second to last. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just plain sad, people, that we are actually way down on that list where everybody else is like, yeah, this is this is proven fact, and we are so far down the list that even Turkey is the only one below us. Uh, yeah. Uh, Turkey, can you believe it? Turkey, at least they saved it from being dead last. Yeah, All right. yeah. Uh, we've always he, got to have someone take the bullet for us. He mentions briefly uh, Thomas Aquinas um, and Galileo, and this here is a bizarre thing. He says that Galileo was put on trial for saying the moon's surface wasn't totally smooth because um, Aristotle said that it was, you know, perfectly smooth. But Galileo looked in the telescope and he found shadows. Uh, and so he said it was filled with canyons and mountains and valleys. And so uh, Hoven says... He wrote a second book to say that he was wrong and that the moon was perfectly smooth. Apparently, the Pope was just pissed off, not about Copernican theory and, and uh, heliocentrism and, you know, the Earth revolving around the sun instead of vice versa. Um, he was pissed off that Galileo said the moon's surface had rocks on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that, that makes more sense than the fact that he was pointing out that we revolve around something else and we aren't the center of the universe as God dictated to us. I gotta tell you, in researching this, I think Galileo had it coming because Galileo got the okay from the Pope, who was kind of his, you know, a strong backer of Galileo up to that time, to, to put out a book, um, you know, uh, putting out the Copernican um, evidence and then you contrast it with the evidence for the uh, Ptolemaic system where the Earth is at the center of the universe. 
and so he did. But not only did he name the guy who was defending the geocentric system Simplicius, (laughs) (laughs) which means simpleton, (laughs) but he put the Pope's words into the mouth of Simplicius. Oh, God. (laughs) I like Galileo even more now. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Anyway. All right. uh, He moves on to the Enlightenment. And uh, my favorite is Voltaire, which he variously spells with an E and without an E, seemingly without any (laughs) rhyme or reason. Like I said, maybe his mother's computer did not have spell check. Yeah. Uh, So he uh, says, on his deathbed, uh, Voltaire said, I'm abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. Now, (laughs) I thought, that doesn't sound like Voltaire. So I looked it up on the Internet, and... I found that of uh, repeated over and over again, but only on websites with the words Christian or Bible in their name. <laughs> hmm. Do, do you think, much like, uh, oh, I don't know, Darwin's explanation of hand yeah. of the hand, uh, you think they're just, you know, paraphrasing? The real story, and one, if you know anything about Voltaire, you'll immediately say, oh, yeah, that's what happened, is that uh, a bishop came or, or you know, uh, one of his religious friends came and, and said, Voltaire, you're on your deathbed. You have to renounce Satan. And Voltaire says, now, now, this is no time to be making new enemies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That makes sense. Uh, Yeah. So, um, you know, again, the the amount of research that went into this doctoral dissertation, um, it's it's, it's amazing. Anyway, um, he has this odd sentence in there. Voltaire had a deist friend as a young man named Abbot de Chateauneuf, a bachelor and probably a homosexual. What? <laughs> I don't know, because he doesn't say anything else. <laughs> he goes on and changes the subject. That's so, just uh, in there, sitting there. The whole point is is that Voltaire kept poor company because he had a gay friend. Apparently. Oh, God. It, it's Kent Hovind's conclusion that the guy is probably a homosexual. This is another favorite of mine. During the French Revolution, Voltaire tried to establish a 10-day work week instead of a 7-day work week just to try to get people away from the seven days of creation. Voltaire died in 1778. French Revolution started in 1789, 12 years later. 10-day calendar. He, uh, he post-mortem did it. He <laughs> came back from the grave. He was resurrected. The rigor mortis kind of sucked <laughs> as he was moving towards there, but that's that's the reason why it failed. He wasn't able to move fast enough. The 10-day calendar went into effect uh, from 1793 to 1805. <laughs> Unbelievable. A little bit of fact-checking there for your doctoral dissertation. Well, he did spend 36 months working towards this dissertation. So uh, He brings up Erasmus Darwin. Uh, he says he was an extremely fat person. Uh, he was also very immoral. He had 12 legitimate children and two illegitimate children. I, I, I would hasten to point out that Christ was illegitimate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in fact, uh, Joseph is still fighting for, alum- or for uh, child support payments. Unless Kent Hovind subscribes to the uh, Mormon idea that uh, Mary was actually a plural wife of, of God. <laughs> <laughs> Which, once again, you have to add your own interpretation to make it all make sense. Yeah. I love, um, this one also is directed directly at Leighton. 
uh, quote, I think it is not a coincidence that people who are atheists or evolutionists frequently have a wicked lifestyle, or at least a lifestyle against the plain teachings of the Bible. <laughs> yes, I, I've been told many times by my family that the only reason why I'm an atheist is because I can't give up my sin and ways. I love how he mentions Lamarck and, and uh, the idea of an inherited uh, characteristics you know, that are acquired during a lifetime and passed on. And he says, there is no biologist today that believes this theory. Because there are tons of biologists who believe Kent Hovind's, you know, vapor canopy theory or creationism. I, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> what the hell? Hey, my dad's a zoologist. He graduated with a bachelor's in zoology, so uh, he believes in this, at least. You're not going to pronounce that right, are you? Just to piss no, me I'm off. No, I'm not. I'm just going to do it to piss you off. <laughs> he also mentions Charles Lyell, who's a uh, geologist, uh, and he says... He was a lawyer, not a scientist. Oh, really, Kent? <laughs> you're going to discuss people's credentials <laughs> to be doing science? Oh, you're killing me. He has a PhD. <clears throat> you should not question a PhD. <laughs> That's true. That is absolutely true. Um, he had this bizarre idea that Lyell's science was motivated by destroying the Bible. <laughs> that, was, that was Charles Lyell's uh, main dominating motivation. Well, that's because any time a scientist puts forth a theory that goes outside of the Bible, it's really Satan or the scientist himself who's trying to destroy God. Absolutely. Why is it we all hate God so much? Uh, and you in particular, Leighton. I mean, come I, on. It's because he caught me masturbating and berated me for it, I know. He mentions Charles Darwin uh, briefly. He doesn't spend any more time on Darwin than he does uh, Marx, I think. He says, the Industrial Revolution was well underway and people were looking for some way to justify the cruelty that accompanied this revolution. <laughs> so you can just see people going, God, this is pretty cruel. How can we justify, how can we... Oh, thank God, oh. Origin of Species came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this has nothing to do with the Phew! fact that Darwin hid away what he had uh, created until another source came out kind of discussing exactly what he was looking at. Yep, that's Alfred Russell Wallace, and he, he talks about him, too. Um, he says that uh, <laughs> Wallace actually published his book first, nearly a year um, before Charles Darwin. <laughs> um, that's a fail right there, too. It wasn't a book, it was an article uh, presented to the Linnaean Society of London, along with excerpts of an essay Darwin had written ten years earlier. <laughs> uh. God. Darwin did not want to publish his findings because he knew the reaction it would have. Right. Um, and I, I think he was sensitive to the concerns of his wife, and uh, who was really religious. Um, anyway, uh, Karl Marx, he mentions also, he says he is known as the father of communism, and he's wrong about that because Christ is actually the father of communism. <laughs> yes, Christ was the one that said, give up all your belongings. Wasn't there something about a rich man? You know, you should give away everything. Yeah. He said uh, Karl Marx had a definite hatred for God in the Bible. Definite. You can't argue with that. And he was a very that. egotistical man. Don't, yeah. don't, don't leave that out. You can't argue with him. It was, it was a definite hatred. Um, he said that him and, and uh, one of his friends, uh, Ingalls, I think. Uh, Frederick Ingalls. They believed that struggle is the means of development. Because of this belief, they thought that class struggle was good. <laughs> that is an epic fail. <laughs> that ought to be posted on the fail blog. Karl Marx's entire theory was based upon the fact that the bourgeoisie were exploiting the proletariat 
and that was wrong. And so this class struggle can only be overcome if these people rise up and uh, join in a revolution, overthrow their bourgeoisie uh, exploiters, and set up a, a communal government. It, he, he believed that class struggle and exploitation was all that was wrong in the world. <laughs> but apparently, according to Kent Hovind, Karl Marx believed that class struggle was good and apparently was a massive capitalist. <laughs> that makes perfect sense to me. That That is communism to a T right there. Yeah, and then you get the... Um, you get the typical quotes, you know, that say that Darwin and, and Huxley were racists, and um, he has this amazing quote: "Racism started, or was greatly enhanced, by Darwin and Thomas Huxley." <laughs> oh, it's a, bullshit! You dipshit! There was no racism before Darwin. It began no, with Darwin. No, no, absolutely no racism whatsoever. Yep. Oh wait, it's been throughout all of humankind history. Hmm? Yeah. Um, and, of course, Ernst uh, Haeckel's embryos. Um, he mentions they're still used in textbooks today, um, you know, which they may be put in there to um, be used as an example of why, you know, Haeckel was wrong. But no one teaches, you know, that Haeckel's theory of recapitulation. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, see, you know, this guy is so crazy. Fail again. Absolutely crazy in his attempts to tie in evolution. I mean, th this quote in and of itself is perfect to a T about the stupidity in this. For instance, Rockefeller, Carnegie, and some of those early tycoons were ruthless in their business practices because they based their business practices on evolution. Uh, how? Where are you pulling this out of your ass? Yeah, um, he says that... Because they believed the survival of the fittest, they thought that you know it justified them being ruthless. My favorite quote was, he was talking about Rockefeller's Standard Oil Company. Yeah, any, yeah. It's... Any stations that refused to sell were literally driven out of business. Um, I don't think <laughs> that word literally means what you think it means. <laughs> Unless Rockefeller is hooking up wheels onto the bottom of these stations and driving them out of town. Driving them out of town. <laughs> Damn idiot. I like that. I like that. It wasn't that they were driven out of business. It was they were driven. Literally. Out of literally driven out of business. Um, and he also said that Heckel's uh, theory was used by abortionists to justify abortion, right? Because <laughs> Heckel thought that you started like as, you know, um, a fish and then a reptile and then, you know, as your, <laughs> as your embryo is growing. So it, it's okay to kill it while it's still a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> Just stomp on it quick. Because <laughs> it's not human yet. Oh, God. And, of course, the Hitler reference. He talks about Freud a little bit. Um, some more deathbed stories about Julian Huxley, who apparently on his deathbed stared into heaven and said, So, it is true, and then died. Oh, God. And oh. then, of course, some strange thing about um, Hitler and the Japanese trying to rule the world because of evolution. Basically, so, anybody who seeks power does so in the name of evolution. Yeah. So ends the first chapter of Kent Hovind's doctoral thesis. Thank Woo! the love of God it ended. Oh, oh my Lord. This is, it is painful. Oh, for the love of Christ. How does anybody walk through this day and age believing in this shit? And how are they even given a PhD? How is that possible? 
Well, it's it's a PhD in Christian education. <laughs> but still, unless somebody does the research on this shit, he's going to be able to walk around saying, I'm a doctor, trust what I say. And the normal lay person is going to believe him. Well, I think his credibility has been tarnished because of his, his tax fraud. Um, the fact that he's sitting in prison for at least four more years. Uh, I love the fact that he was saying ha about how immoral atheists and evolutionists tend to be, and all the while he's defrauding the United States government of taxes. <laughs> <laughs> Hypocrite much, Kent? Uh, uh, he just can't give up his sin and ways in the name of Christ. Yeah, if he ever gets out, I'd love to have him on the program um, and discuss his credentials. Uh, I wonder if we can go to his prison and visit him and then just record the session. He's <laughs> he's really, really sensitive about his uh, credentials. He was um, interviewed on Infidel Guy with Dr. Massimo uh, Pigliucci, and he noticed that Infidel Guy was calling Pigliucci doctor, but Kent Hovind, Kent. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to, you know, bring that stuff up and say, well, I don't, you know, I don't recognize your doctorate because it's from an unaccredited institution. Yeah, absolutely unaccredited. Not, Beautiful. it's just imbecilic. And I've read your doctoral dissertation, Kent. <laughs> I would have failed you. At least one chapter, and you failed on the first sentence. Hi, my name is Kent Hoven. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have to read the rest of it if that's what your opening is. You imagine the defense of that doctoral dissertation? Is your name really Kent Hoven? Yes, it is. He Are you sure? <laughs> Pass. Yes. Here's my birth certificate. Second question. Do you have $1,800 on you? Yes, I do. Pass. 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 <laughs> Send him through. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, they've All got right. a copy machine in the back that prints off his Ph.D. All right, so next week we'll have another uh, probing, insightful podcast uh, just for you guys. And clearly it will not be imbecilic. Obviously. Obviously.